even though I stand there a lot, this is very nerve-wracking, being in this uh, different space. <clears throat> good morning, Granville Chapel. Uh, wow, that was a good response. Uh, it's good to be here with you, those of you who are in person, uh, and those of you who are online. Uh, my name is David. I am the worship and creative media pastor here. And while you see and hear me often, uh, and those of you on, online over the last two years have seen a lot of me, um, I don't often stand here and, and preach. Um, but over the, the last few months, uh, those of us who, or sorry, those who often preach and those who lead worship uh, and other areas of leadership, um, we've been getting together to pray together, to study the scripture for the upcoming season, um, and generally seek God as we put these services together. And as we got to this passage today, for some reason, I was like, this one, I, I like this one, I, I want to preach this one, I, I need to preach this one. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, it could be because it's just this is one of my, my favorites. Um, I've studied it many times through my time with university as a student and intern, um, or maybe I was just tired of singing. Uh, not actually. Uh, though, really glad to have Tiago leading us this morning. So good. And the team. Uh, or maybe it was a nudge from the Spirit. Um, very well might have been. I think so. Um, regardless, here I am. And I'm going to bring you this passage from Luke 8. Uh, which is the story of, as we just heard, of Jesus healing the bleeding woman uh, and raising Jairus, uh, Jairus' daughter, from the dead. As we get into it, I'm going to pray again, because I need all the help I can get. <laughs> Lord, as we come to this passage today, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, would you speak to us in real time this morning? And as we sit with this word, your word, would you change our hearts and lead us into greater depths of life with you? Amen. All right, so we have just heard the story read, um, but if you zoned out, here is the TLDR. And for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, that means too long, didn't read. Uh, I recognize we have some, some youth with us this morning, uh, so I'm trying my very best to be as hip and with it as I can. Just kidding. Uh, though I am still in my 20s, uh, I am unfortunately just not that hip, as you can see by my use of the word hip. Um, okay. So, right. Here's my TLDR, my recap. Jesus gets off the boat. He's swarmed by the crowds. Church board member guy named Jairus falls at his feet, begs him to save his daughter. Jesus says, aight. While he's on his way, he senses that his power has been tapped, figures out that a woman who's been on her period for more than a decade grabbed his cloak and was healed. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Peace. Meanwhile, the other guy's kid dies, but Jesus goes anyways, saying to him, don't fear, just believe. And Jesus gets to the house, 
All the visiting people who are crying start making fun of him because he's too late. Jesus goes to the girl anyways, grabs her hand and says, my child, arise. She wakes up. Everyone's like, what? And Jesus tells the parents to feed her because she's hungry. Oh, and don't tell anyone just what happened. The end. All right, let's, let's slow down a little bit. So there's a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, the, that woman who suffered for so long was healed. The little girl was raised from the dead. And there's a bunch of underlying cultural and contextual things going on. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to walk through this passage a little bit more slowly. I'm going to make a few observations as we go through it. I'll, I'll pause on a few different things. And as we go through, I want you asking yourselves the question, what do these stories tell us about Jesus? And what is he saying to me, you, this morning through this story? Afterwards, I'll take a gander at what God might be poking us with this morning. On a side note, uh, we live in an age, particularly those of you who are at home online, you can literally tap into the best preaching on the planet right now. Um, those of you who are in this building right now, maybe you'd have to like put your earphones in. Um, uh, but we can listen to the best preaching, the best sermons that maybe have ever been preached. And yet, we're, we're here um, our posture every single time we come to a sermon shouldn't be, oh yeah, that was a good one, or meh, today was boring, uh, but rather it should be, Lord, what are you saying to me through this word? Same thing for worship. Regardless of how good or bad the worship was, Tiago, you killed it, um, or if you knew the songs or how loud it was, but the question should be, did I enter in? Did I take that time to worship the God of the universe alongside the rest of the people of God in this context? Okay, enough of that. Um, let's get back into it. So this text, just for a bit of context, uh, here's what happened right before the story uh, in Luke. So Jesus decides he wants to take his disciples across the lake. They get in the boat. Jesus falls asleep. There's a big storm. You've heard this story. The disciples are terrified. They think they're going to die. Jesus says, oh, for God's sake, pull yourself together, men. Not actually. That's a quote from Harry Potter. But he does say, where is your faith? Then he changes the weather and calms the seas. The disciples are like, what? Who is this guy? And then they go to the other side of the lake, Gentile territory. Uh, Jesus meets with a demon-possessed guy, Legion, you know that story. He's been living among the tombs, who falls at Jesus' feet, naming him Jesus, son of the most high God. Jesus casts the demons into a bunch of pigs, gets in the boat, and heads back across the lake. And as soon as he sets foot, he's swarmed by the crowds. And that's where we are in the second part of this chapter. And for the second time, this chapter, he has someone falling at his feet. So let's talk about 
that specific piece for a moment. The act of falling at one's feet. This motion, uh, it can also be translated, uh, of falling prostrate, prostrate, yeah, uh, to lie face downward in submission or despair. Uh, it's reserved for those of much greater status, like a king. Interestingly, of the words that are translated uh, as worship in the Bible, uh, one of the most common is the act of falling prostrate before the one being worshipped. Though in this case, it's not the same word, but the, the act is, is the same. Just earlier, when the disciples were on the boat, they who would, they've been with Jesus throughout all of his ministry so far, they still don't know, make, know what to make of Jesus, saying, who then is this? And they're rebuked for their lack of faith. In contrast to that, the demon-possessed guy, he knew exactly who Jesus was, and he responded appropriately, lying prostrate, begging Jesus not to hurt him. And it's the same for Jairus. Jairus is, he's called a synagogue leader. That's a church leader, a prominent figure in the community. He's likely very wealthy. And in his desperation and his hope, he submits himself at the feet of Jesus, recognizing the vast difference in his high station uh, and, and Jesus's. Question for you to consider. Okay, here's the question. When you think about your life in this season, how do you give Jesus the, the honor, the, the worship, the life-giving submission, as he calls for, as Lord, as King, as God? Okay. So Jesus agrees to see Jairus' daughter. And as he's going, he has this encounter with this woman. Uh, we're going to camp here for a, 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 probably most of it, but a little bit anyways. So this woman, she has been on her period for 12 years. Um, before we get into some of the more cultural stuff around this, as uncomfortable as it is, I want you to try and imagine what that would be like. I'm sure it's easier for the woman here than the men. Um, but imagine what it would be like to be on your period for 12 years. The blood, the pain, the cramps, the nausea. Who knows what that does to your hormones? I can only imagine. Once a month sounds bad enough to me. Um, so so there's, all, there's all that. And now let's talk a little bit about the, the cultural context around that around menstruation uh, and cleanness or uncleanness, blood, death, all that. So G Judaism, um, as a religion, as a culture, is very much concerned with being clean or not unclean. To help us understand this uh, in reg regards to this woman's experience, uh, here's an excerpt from Leviticus, the great Jewish book of law. 
When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, they will be unclean till evening. So what we just read, it pertains just like to the regular monthly cycle that women go through. Um, on an extreme in the society, a lot of the uh, religious leaders uh, wouldn't even like touch a woman at all just for the chance that they might become unclean. So, so how then does this, <laughs> this woman who's been on her period for likely half her life be a part of society? She's literally always unclean. Anything she touches is considered unclean. Anyone who touches the thing she touched is considered unclean, let alone anyone who touches her. She likely hasn't had human touch for 12 years. No hugs, no pats on the back. She hasn't been able to get married or have children, her role in this society. She's likely lived as an absolute outcast on the margins of community life. And it says, no one could heal her. In Mark's account of the story, it says, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This woman has been poked and prodded and ostracized. Her life, her entire identity is as one who is unclean. And she hears about Jesus. And somehow she just knows. Or at least she's desperate enough to believe that if she could just get to him, if she could just touch his cloak, then she would be made clean. That she would be healed. She enters the town. She squeezes through the crowd. Remember, anything she touches is made unclean. She's making everyone unclean. If she's recognized by anyone, and the people figure out that she just made the entire crowd of them unclean, I don't, I don't know what that means for her. But she gets herself there, touches his cloak, and she's healed. Now to just slip quietly back out the, out the back and enjoy life as a healed person. But no, Jesus, Jesus stops. In the middle of on, going on his way, he, he stops. He calls her out. Man, to be in her situation. The mix of elation at being healed, but then also the, the fear and the embarrassment of everyone knowing what you just did to them all. Luke writes, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Again, here's that falling at his feet. 
In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Why did Jesus stop? Why call her out? She was, she was already healed. Presumably, things were going to get a lot better for her. Why not let her save face, slip out quietly? Again, she, she was already healed. I think, in part, that it's maybe part of the holistic nature of how and what Jesus heals, what he restores. That it's, it is this physical healing, but it's not just about the physical healing. That this woman who has been shaped emotionally, mentally, spiritually by her identity and station as an unclean, outcast woman, it needs more than just the ceasing of her bleeding. She needs to know that she matters, that she is loved, that she has purpose. Jesus, in the middle of his trek to save an important man's dying daughter, stops to say, daughter, daughter, my child, daughter, my beloved. We're going to pause for a moment on this one. So I want you all to close your eyes. You should breathe in deeply. Now think about yourself. Who are you? What shapes your identity? What tries to shape your identity? Now picture yourself coming to Jesus, and he looks at you. He puts a hand on your shoulder, and he says, You, you're my child, daughter, son, child, my beloved. And with your eyes still closed, I want you to put your hands out in front of you, palms up, and receive those words, Jesus' words. Receive the identity that he gives you. My child, daughter, Son. In the same way that Jesus, that God said to Jesus, this, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased, we have been grafted in and may receive those same words. You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. You can open your eyes now. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Earlier on in this chapter, Jesus rebukes his closest companions, saying, where is your faith? And here... A couple paragraphs later, we have, in contrast, a beautiful example of faith in one of the lowest in society. 
A very similar thing is said in the passage that Paul talked about last week, where the woman with the alabaster jar is told by Jesus when he forgives her sins, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. At this point, someone from Jairus' household comes to tell him to stop bothering the teacher. Again, a contrast to those who see Jesus for who he is. As the little girl has died. Jesus reassures Jairus, saying, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Don't be afraid. This man just learned that his daughter died. I have a 19-month-old daughter, and I can't imagine. Um, And Jesus, in compassion and assurance, says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Just believe, and she will be healed. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about faith, belief. So, Faith is one of those words that we say a lot, we throw around a lot, it sounds nice. Uh, Sometimes we think about what it means, and I think we all have know what it means, or at least the gist, the vibe. Um, Faith, believe, belief, the state of trust, believing in the unseen, trusting in something that you don't fully understand, acting on that belief. The, I have faith that this chair will hold my weight, and so I sit on it. A couple stories ago, um, when the disciples are asked where their faith is in the middle of that storm, what might it have looked like if they did believe that Jesus was God, that he was powerful, that he was good, that he cares, that he can deal with things? Maybe they would have woken him sooner. Maybe they would, be, would have been less afraid. And here we see these examples of faith. This woman believes that Jesus can heal her and acts on the belief, gets, her to his, gets herself to his cloak, and she's healed. Jairus has a, enough faith to get himself to Jesus in the first place. And then there, when he learns that his daughter is dead, he's told, only believe, to have no fear, and she will be here. He, she will be healed, sorry. So some uncomfortable questions uh, for us to sit with. What what does that mean for us? The fact that that woman was healed, was that entirely because of her faith? I mean, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And if Jairus doesn't believe enough, does that mean his child will stay dead? What about the countless people we know and love who have suffered, who have died, who are dying now, who we pray our guts out for? Is their healing dependent on our faith, on their faith? When they aren't healed, what, what then? Is it because we didn't believe enough? Or is it because God doesn't care whether they're healed or not? Or is he 
distantly, coldly pulling the strings to his master plan where our pain doesn't really matter? I mean, in one sense, that last scenario, like it, it makes sense to me on some level, like God, all-powerful creator God of the universe, whether my prayer is answered or not, uh, I suppose it, in the grand scheme, it shouldn't really matter, but what about these pictures we have of Jesus who caring deeply? as in so many places in scripture, of him actually concerned with our concerns. This story where he says, daughter, your faith has healed you, and don't be afraid. I'm sure you have stories. I know for me, uh, it was my Auntie Karen, I think I've mentioned her before, she was diagnosed with MS in her early 20s as a mother of four. And over the years, it got worse and worse, impairing her ability to walk unaided, then to walk at all, uh, then later years, impaired her speech. Uh, she had so many people praying for healing through her life. She had all, herself such a strong faith. And she went to all those like healing tents and big evangelical healing crusade things. And yet, at the age of 41, after a long road that was too short, she died. And was her faith not enough? But she was so confident in her Jesus. Did those who loved her not believe enough? I don't think so. So again, what, what do we do with that? First of all, here's my, my first answer. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And I know that's not satisfying. And I know it'd be great to be able to give you the right way to think about this. But first off, I don't, I don't know. And I, and I think that's okay. Because I think that leads into my second of all, <laughs> that even in this matter, there is again a call for faith. Faith that looks like trust. That trusts that God, who is powerful, who is good, does indeed operate on a level that is way above my comprehension. I know that sounds like a cop-out. Sometimes it is, I think. Um, but also I think it's true. Like, how can I, human David, presume to think that the God of the universe should explain himself to me? And yet, in his compassion, he does give us glimpses into the mystery. Last Friday, uh, Tiago and I, uh, we had the honor of visiting Andy and Marlene. Um, for those of you who don't know, Andy is the lead pastor here who was diagnosed with uh, inoperable brain tumor um, a couple months ago. And uh, so uh, we went to v visit him and, and film some of his, um, some words and do a little bit of an interview. Um, 
And in the, in the midst of all that he's going through, he preached one of the best sermons I've heard him preach uh, on camera. And it was on the assurance and hope that he has in Jesus. So next week, uh, we're going to, our sermon is, Andy's going to be preaching. Um, we're going to sit and watch and listen um, to that together. Hmm. So maybe it's not so much a matter of, of faith in, in the what or that he will heal, uh, but rather faith in the who, faith in Jesus Trust in he who is God, who is good, who is love. Jesus finally gets to Jairus' house, and he goes into the room where the dead girl is. Here we're going to stop for a moment and chat about uncleanness again. So the bleeding woman was unclean, but even more unclean is a dead body. We read in Numbers 19, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, they are unclean. Their uncleanness remains on them. Cut off from Israel. Like, and yet Jesus walks in, takes the hand of this dead girl, and says, My child, get up. And she does. Uh, or in other translations, My child, arise. I, I didn't know what to title this, so I just combined the two. Uh, he says to the bleeding woman, daughter, and he says to the child, arise. That's why. Daughter, arise. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, right before this passage, uh, Jesus was on the other side of the lake with the demon-possessed man who, unclean number one, lived among the tombs, the dead. And unclean number two, had the demons cast out into a herd of pigs. Jesus' concern for unclean things is very different than that of the Jewish norms. And, and more than just not being concerned about the unclean things, he actually makes the unclean clean. And once again, in the same way that he calls the bleeding woman daughter, he addresses this girl who was dead moments before my child. We're going to take another moment, and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask God again, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning?
This morning, we have explored three ideas from this passage. The first is our posture as we come to Jesus. Let us not forget who he is, that he, being one with God, creator, is powerful, that he is good, that he is worthy of our face, in the, face down in the ground hearts of worship. Secondly, that while he is indeed powerful, glorious, and majestic, he also looks directly at you in love and in compassion and says, you, you who once were unclean are now clean. That you who once were dead are now alive. That you who once were ungrounded, unsure, full of self-loathing and insecurity, you are mine, you are loved, you are my child. And finally, we do indeed place our faith in him who is powerful, good, and full of compassion. We continue to pray we continue to believe that Jesus can heal. And we also place our faith in his understanding that is greater than ours, knowing that healing and restoration in his kingdom is a greater concept than the strictly physical. And we continue to wrestle. We continue to wrestle with God on this one. Not to write him off, and not to stop asking good questions, but to, in humility, approach the throne of grace with our worries, our fears, our doubts, allowing him to transform us and show us glimpses of himself, receiving the love and identity that he gives us all, all the while praying, Father, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done. Restore our world, heal our land, our relationships, our mental health, our loved ones, our Andy. Would you show us the depths of life that are in you, life to the full, for your glory, Father, in the power of your spirit, and in the name of Jesus. Mike is going to lead us in communion.